Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And today we're going to talk about the theme of faith throughout season three of Supergirl. So specifically how that manifested for several characters like Kara and Jean, and then how it affected characters around them and who are influenced by them throughout the season. The biggest conflict of the season has been Supergirl versus Rain of how to handle this massively powerful threat to National City to the world. And what was interesting is that their battle was drenched in all this symbolism and the way they talked about it was all framed in a very biblical God versus devil situation, especially by the cult and by the world killers, which we saw come in later. And this ties in interestingly to the problem that many Superman comics deal with, which is how do you address this being who can do whatever they want and has all this power and, and is mostly seen as a benevolent presence, but you know, not by everybody. And what happens if they yeah, exactly. What happens if, you know, something goes wrong and then they turn against people, as we saw in Supergirl in season one? And we also saw it in the crossover in season three. Yeah, there's this presence of the idea of Supergirl as a god with godlike powers and what that means. And the way that it interacted with season three specifically is that Kara has become distant from humanity because of her internal struggle of, you know, whether or not she can have normal relationships, have a normal happy life, along with being the person that she is as Supergirl. And it links back to her culture and her religion on Krypton because she was told Rao protect us so we might protect others. And then Allura told her that she's going to be extraordinary. She's going to protect Cal. And as we talked about in the mother podcast, she definitely translated that to my purpose in life is to protect Earth. Yeah, well, I think she had to reconsider her purpose when she got there and discovered that Cal was already an adult and he was off doing all these things that her mother had promised she'd be able to do. And so she wanted to follow that example, but also she was trying to kind of redefine what her role was because the role that she'd been given changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she had to sort of translate the teachings that she was given into the situation that was at hand. She can't fulfill that promise to protect him and raise him. And so she sees Cal as a superhero and, okay, I'm going to be extraordinary. And what is interesting about how it connects to this theme of faith is that I've always felt that Kara doesn't just see it psychologically as, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do as a person, but more in a cosmic sense. Like, I'm not supposed to have a normal life. I'm supposed to be that distant force for good. Mm. And that's something that she talked about in the crossover as well. Oh, when she talked to Barry about feeling like she was always meant to be alone. Yeah. Like it's like a fate thing. Yeah. She thinks probably that Rao wants her. Oh, like this was the intent for her all along or something. Yeah. Her grand role in the universe. And you know, throughout the season, the various characters are trying to tell her that you can't effectively be that protector if you don't also have that connection to humanity. And Rain as a figure, especially as a religious devil type character in opposition to Supergirl. And the world killers come on the scene and pestilence is obviously like a plague and, and Monel refers to them as biblical. Yeah, like Old school biblical stuff. Yeah. So Rain is set up to be this sort of devil character versus Supergirl as the more benevolent god. Well, Kara is having this internal struggle of, can I have this human life? Then we have this counterpoint, which is Rain, who is completely detached from like any empathy for humans or anyone, really. We know that she has a code because in 318, Supergirl uses it against her mm-hmm. to capture her. She prevents her from hurting 
Ruby because she points out that Ruby hasn't done anything wrong. She's an innocent. Yeah, because she hasn't done anything wrong according to the values that we have now figured out that Rain operates by. Yeah, she's broken none of her laws, her internal laws. And nothing in her that we see is going, oh, that's a kid. I can't kill that kid. It's literally just because she, it's like a loophole. It is. But here's my question to you. What's necessarily so wrong about that? Because on the surface, when you hear her explain her code of justice, it is, frankly, somewhat reasonable, other than the part where she just murders people. Well, that's kind of the key part. (laughs) And that's, well, obviously that's the key part. But it's interesting because you have at one point, even Lena's like, you know what? She was kind of right. Terrible people need to be removed from society. (laughs) Something that I want to explore in addressing all of these things is the fact that there's no point to any of it if it's not about doing good for the people around you. And if it's detached from that, then it's kind of hollow. But is it though... That's your assessment. Well, that's what the... I mean, that's the message of the show. But at the very least, the show believes it. And I'm inclined to agree with them. I don't know where you stand, Vivi, but... <laughs> Look, I also agree, but there are other ways of looking at values. In the season three DVD, which I just got in a She Will Rain featurette, Jessica Queller, who is one of the showrunners, says that Rain sees everything as black and white. There are no grays. She says that Rain's weakness as a character is her lack of humanity. And the machinery that makes her a formidable villain is also her Achilles heel. And that's sort of the message that the show is giving with her internal battle, which is that that connection to Ruby defeats in the end that black and white detached dark god view of morals. And that's an interesting sort of touchstone for Supergirl because while Carr is going through this struggle whether or not she's going to be a detached force for good or she's going to integrate herself with the people. We have this extremely detached force for quote-unquote good in Rain that you can look at and go, oh, this is what Kara could be if she just eternally went down that path and completely severed her connection to humanity. Yep. And that was very similar to the reflection that we got in the EarthX crossover as well. Kara staring down the path of where she could have gone if she hadn't had all those interventions and those people who insisted that she take the time to learn the culture she was adopting and appreciate people. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting, too, with the world killers because they do have a human side and they're very much human underneath. But all of that is suppressed and Obviously, that's one of the other big conflicts, too, in terms of this idea of humanity versus kind of a disconnect and what that does for your moral code and your sense of connection to people. Mm -hmm. Quiller describes the season three theme as what it means to be human. And that's something we definitely see with these two god-like figures and their own internal struggle to whether or not they're going to connect to that humanity. They had kind of the same arc in the season. Yeah, except Sam had a lot less control over hers in a lot of respects. Yeah, quite a lot less. Hers is less psychological and more like allegory Mm. in a lot of senses because it's not Sam wondering whether or not she's going to, like it's not a question for her. No, for her, it's more a question of how does she overcome this obstacle in order to retain her sense of self. Mm -hmm. Hers is sort of an external internal battle, whereas Supergirl has it fully internal. Yeah, and hers is a lot more of just 
kind of answering a psychological question and a cultural identity question for herself. Mm -hmm. And then something I thought was interesting in terms of like religious symbolism that we see all across Supergirl, but specifically in season three, we see with Supergirl, Rain, and then also the cult is the symbol of fire. And the way that they sort of perceive it, I think, connects a lot to the way they see the world. And we know that Kara and modern Kryptonians worshipped Rao, who is their sun god. And they often talk about Rao's light. And at the end of The Faithful, which is episode four of season three, she prays with Alora, And at the end of it, she mentions being burning and free. Yeah. And it's interesting with the way they use fire, because that has so many symbolic connotations in a lot of different contexts, not necessarily just religion and not just for the show. So in addition to kind of maybe more religious symbolic context where fire is used to indicate signs of good or evil or to kind of symbolically cleanse someone, you also have a lot of meaning that gets evoked even from a cinematic standpoint because of all the different kinds of things we associate with fire and fire light. So for example, given the fact that the light from fire is often perceived as warm because of the red, orange, and yellow tones in it. You can use that to convey a sense of closeness or affection. Seeing a fireplace or hearing the sound of a fire might make you think of being around a campfire or at home where you're warm and kind of cozy and protected. But on the other hand, because we all understand that fire is on some level destructive, it can also be used symbolically for negative purposes, particularly when you're playing with the way light and shadow manipulate the rest of the visuals in a scene. Just, I mean, it makes sense. Psychologically, you're presented with fire and, you know, it provided warmth for us and then the sun keeps us alive. <laughs> but then if it gets out of control, it can be violent. So there's this sort of dichotomy of protection and warmth and safety and then completely on the other side, violence and then passion, which can go hand in hand with that imagery. It can be a positive thing or a negative thing. So how you perceive it is sort of like a glass half full, half empty kind of thing where it reflects your own mindset. And the characters within the show, how they perceive it reflects how they perceive the world. Kara's religion is this very positive view of it. But then the world killers come in and the witches and rain and they use fire in a more violent, negative way. Yeah. I remember joking in the scene with rain. What was it? They put her in some kind of like pit of fire and I was like, that looks like Voldemort being resurrected. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Well, she came from the fire like a phoenix. She came back through that fire Voldemort looking thing. And then she was destroyed in the first timeline by going into the fire. And obviously, rain flies into the center of the earth. <laughs> oh, yeah. As one does. That imagery is like flying into hell. It's sort of the sun versus the fires of hell. <laughs> and we can see the direct contrast of this fire symbolism when she's praying with her hollow mom at the end of The Faithful. She says, we shrink not from the sun of righteousness. In the darkest places, he guides us. So that's obviously light. And at the end, she says, and we shall rise a fire in his hearth, burning and free. But then contrastingly, right after that, the next line heard in the show is from Ral's fire, you are born. And that is coming from the world killer mom, who we'll find out later on is Selena. She says that to Sam. <laughs> I always referred to her in my notes as Sam's evil hollow mom as the counterpoint to Kara's. Yeah, we go from the nice hollow mom to the evil hollow mom. And you can tell the difference because nice hollow mom is dressed in appealing sky blue and evil mom is dressed all in black. <laughs> 
Yes. And paired with that, we also have the two contrasting views of fire. And obviously, we have the cult who kind of switch back and forth from believing in Kara and Supergirl and Rao, and then to believing more in the world killers. Technically, don't they always say they believe in whatever's in the book of Rao and they just change their interpretation of it? Yeah. And he has this line that he says as he basically switches teams and Rain is about to kill him in the Legion of Super heroes which is episode 10 he says for Rao is the light but he was born of fire so in essence it's kind of bringing both outlooks together in a way because it's connecting them yeah we can see the switching of the mindset in progress mm. in Kovo he goes from sort of that one perception of fire and light and Rao to the other more sort of sinister perception of it what are you talking about sinister nothing about him was creepy or weird <laughs> Speaking of... <laughs> yeah, we've been talking about Colville and his involvement with this cult and his changing of allegiances, but why did he create this cult in the first place? We should probably talk about that. Like, why, all of a sudden, is Kara just finding out that there's people who are doing this thing and it's questionably weird? <laughs> Yeah, well, in the episode that we've most discussed so far, which is The Faithful, for obvious reasons, it opens with Coville on a plane, and he's talking to a guy sitting next to him, and we can tell that he's obviously going through some things. Well, and you can also tell he's like one of those people who either doesn't read a room well or just doesn't care, because the guy sitting next to him is clearly not that interested in hearing what he has to say. <laughs> no. Well, he'll find an outlet for his ramblings later on. He's obviously <laughs> very disillusioned with the world and life and you know he sees this person next to him a stranger and is already thinking that his life is going to fall apart the way his did exactly he interprets the stranger as being himself and pastes his own experiences onto this completely different person totally uninvited mm. but yeah in the context of that you can tell he's uh been going through some things mm -hmm. and then we see the plane starts to experience <laughs> a little bit of turbulence <laughs> He and the people around him know that the plane is going down and he looks around him and he sees all of these people and they're praying, essentially, and they have different sorts of faith. They're all wishing for something to help them, to save them. Or to console themselves. True. That as well. And I think you also saw one shot of like a mom consoling a little kid. Yeah, which is interesting for the episode because it deals with all sorts of different kinds of things you can have faith in. And connections to people. Connections, yeah. And he looks around and he doesn't have anything. And then he looks out the window. <laughs> well, first we see Alex and we, we sort of recognize. Oh, right. Yeah. When the plane lands. Yeah. He looks out the window and he sees a woman standing on the wing of the plane. And it's kind of obvious that somehow this being saved them. And whoop, there it is. <laughs> There's the thing that I was looking for because he experiences a sort of traumatic event at a low point in his life and he's seeking something to believe in. And then it's provided to him on a platter, <laughs> on a wing of the plane. <laughs> but we don't really know exactly what happened from there to the point where he had like organized a cult by stalking other people who were rescued and inviting them to come and like randomly worship a stranger yeah which when you put it in those terms it sounds a lot more creepy as it should it's true i had fun with this whole storyline with the cult because i actually took a psych course in undergrad called psychology of spirituality and we covered specifically 
cults because in their own way, they use a lot of the same practices and they represent a lot of the same things for people. And they don't necessarily have to be built around like faith in a certain religion or a certain god because clearly this cult is not. And you see it in other contexts too with cult-like behavior of sports teams or fans of other things. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting that they chose to explore that because it is something that logically makes sense for a character like Supergirl. But so the rescue happens and it kind of gives him this moment of clarity and seeing that, oh, there are still good things in the world, maybe. But then it sort of, it seems like it becomes an obsession because mm. we find out in the Faithful episode that he's been tracking down elements of Kara's culture all over the world for what, two, two and a half years at that point, and interpreting them how he chooses to interpret them, mm -hmm. and then fashioning that into this group that he controls that in theory is about honoring her. But, you know, once you reach that point where he becomes disillusioned with her, you start to wonder, like, was that ever really what it was about in the first place? Yeah. And it's also interesting to sort of track that same kind of pattern within other characters, specifically Olivia. Who, if you don't remember, was that baby-faced blonde girl who started out in the cult and then who essentially became a terrorist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the first time we meet her, she gives this very emotional speech to the cult members about how she was at a low point in her life. She had just been, what, broken up with? Yeah, or cheated on or something. Yeah. And she was standing on the ledge and she fell. And she remembers knowing that she was going to die and hoping that it would be quick, but it wasn't. And just sort of this moment of suffering for her. And then Supergirl saves her and tells her everything's going to be okay. And that was an interesting moment, obviously, in terms of seeing it from the other point of view for us as an audience. You mean seeing it from the point of view of the people being saved as opposed to from the person doing the saving. Exactly. And seeing kind of the long range ramifications that it has, because obviously we see Kara briefly say, oh no, I remember all of these people when she sees their faces. And obviously that means she thinks about them. She remembers who they are, but she doesn't necessarily know what their whole journey is after the moment she saves them. Yeah. It's like she has so much power over their lives of so many people. And it's just sort of, you know, ships in light for her. She helps people and she thinks about it. You know, she cares about them and the world, obviously. But each interaction is so much more important for the other person in the dynamic. And that's something you can compare to any sort of important figure in the world. Somebody who has like a celebrity status or somebody who's a, um, a political figure. Religious leader, yeah, political figures. And in terms of like her struggle to connect to humanity in this position she's being placed in as a god, that was interesting. But in terms of Olivia, she goes through that same sort of progression of, of having a low point and being saved. And she then, like Coville, sort of begins to idolize Supergirl. But what's really interesting is then after all of that set up, all that hype essentially around this event and both of their lives and the hype around somebody who's essentially just just a person who has abilities. What's interesting is then the fallout when the perception is shattered. Yeah, in that scene where Colville brings his most loyal followers with him into this extremely dangerous situation, and he brings along this artifact that he doesn't actually know anything about or how it works. So he sets up this extremely potentially dangerous violent situation that could result in hundreds of people dying if something goes wrong. And he just assumes that Kara is going to be available and fix it because that's just what she does. And when confronted with the reality that no, she can't fix it, he doesn't know how to react. And he keeps insisting like, this is just you testing our faith and blah, blah, blah. And she's 
laying there like, we're all going to die. <laughs> and then you have this very poignant moment. And it reminded me a little bit of season one where you see her dig out the kryptonite bullet, mm. where she cuts her hand open to show them that her powers aren't working because there's kryptonite in the artifact that he brought along to threaten people with. And then, in the most fitting of conclusions to all of this, it is a human being who ends up helping save everyone. Mm -hmm. Specifically, one human being. And for Olivia, it was a, another extremely poignant moment in her life when she sees that Supergirl cuts her hand and, and shows her that I'm, I'm bleeding, I'm not invincible, and I can't fix this for you. And she just runs away, you know, because her faith is shattered in a way. Well, and the other thing that's interesting, and I think we'll probably talk about later as well, is that obviously... Obviously, they don't understand the teachings that they've allegedly been following because in the face of the challenge of Kara saying she can't help them, they don't try to help her back. Yeah. And in terms of the phrase that they say, it's the first time we hear it before Kara later on says it with her Apollo mom, Rao protect us so that we might protect others. They're actively putting people in danger. They're not following that mindset of like, my purpose is to help people. They're putting themselves in a situation to be saved because they feel like it's, you know, a religious and important experience. It's an important experience, but then it also gives them status that makes them feel some additional self-worth. Mm -hmm. That's true, which is definitely something we see is important for Olivia and her sort of self-worth and her place in the world when we meet her again is completely out of whack. You know, she has no idea who she's supposed to be. And she was using Supergirl, that sort of connection initially as a purpose. And then Coville, contrastingly, does not run away. He sort of doubles down on the idea. And on the idea that Kara is going to save them somehow. Yeah. I mean, when Kara, like, is on the floor. <laughs> right? She's, like, ready to pass out. Mm -hmm. And then she does eventually. <laughs> he eventually, he does help Alex. He does do something. He does, but only because she snaps at him. Ah, <laughs> oh, Alex. <laughs> so, you know, Koval doubles down and we see that in the scene where he's in prison and talking to Kara through the glass. And he has, like, a slight shift. I think it sort of weakens his blind faith. He kind of acknowledges somewhat that she's a real person with feelings, but only kind of. He kind of frames it within the religion that she needs guidance too, like from Rao. So he's going to pray for her and to her. And so his real disillusionment doesn't really happen until Kara loses the fight against Rain. He's sort of offered this other godlike figure and kind of pops out of the old one. Exactly. He kind of, he's like, well, I'm going to jump off this sinking ship and go to a different one. And then he switches back over to Supergirl later on when the witches... When they almost kill him. <laughs> Not the most loyal followers. So, and then it's interesting that you have the cult as kind of this backdrop in Kara's mind for the whole season. Because you kind of have all the people who she interacts with regularly who are kind of like an anti-cult, but to different degrees. Like, some people have a little more hero worship for her than others. Specifically, we see when Monel comes back with the rest of the Legion, he's... He knows that Kara is Kara and isn't so starstruck, and he never really was to begin with. Mm -hmm. But you have Imra and then Brainy, who both have these really almost fan-like reactions to her. Mm -hmm. Which is something that is taken from the comics, usually Superman, that they're big fans of. And they sort of create the Legion around the morals and in the image, in a way, of Superman in the comics and in Supergirl. They do that for Kara. She's not alive for them in the future. Monel, she was like a person, and, but to them, she's a historical figure. Yeah. So there's a lot of room for having that sort of fanish relationship. Yeah, there is. But it's also funny, too, when you see 
you know, like when she talks to Brainy the first time he interacts with her when she's in the coma and he's like, I imagined so many very specific ways that we would interact for the first time, but none of them included you saying that. (laughs) A relatable moment. (laughs) Yeah. And then you have Imra, who's constantly just kind of trying to convey how honored she is to meet Kara and is also just really impressed, but quickly learns to deal with her as a person. And Brainy does Mm -hmm. too, but their initial reactions are just really fun because it's so like, I've only read about you in history books, but now you're right in front of my face. Yeah, it's a fan kind of interaction, but, you know, they adjust well enough to the fact that she is a human and and for Imra, in her opinion, has failings. She's not addressing the pestilent situation the way that she wants her to. Yeah, and it's cool that Imra's willing to argue about it and she's not pushing aside her opinions just because she has that respect. She treats Kara like a normal person in that Mm -hmm. particular decision. Yeah, so that's sort of a healthy way of perceiving a figure that you're a fan of. And then to go to sort of a less... Well, I wouldn't say unhealthy. I will say that we have listed this person as the biggest fan in quotes. <laughs> yes. I remember getting an ask on Tumblr about which character I think is the biggest fan of Supergirl. And the person who asked me was probably speaking in terms of like who... Who, who was her biggest like actual supporter? Yeah. They very likely were thinking that. But I was like, you know, the biggest fan in the sense of the word, that sort of separation and idolization is Lena. Because you might think, you know, like Alex, but Alex doesn't perceive Carl that way no but lena on the other hand the top of season three created a giant statue of supergirl (laughs) dedicated to her and gave a speech about you know how they're friends but how she really looks up to her as a role model and an inspiration yeah and kind of obviously a literally larger than life figure since she created a much larger than life Mm -hmm. replica (laughs) yeah and you know she refers to her as a mentor but supergirl doesn't have that active a presence in her life she's not like you know catless to kara or john to alex she kind of comes in in very pivotal moments but she's not a consistent presence but the things that she said during those times were super important to super important super (laughs) to lena because lena like let's take the episode luther's in season two when lena is framed for breaking lillian out of jail and Kara obviously we see struggled with the fact that people don't believe lena but after lena's like kidnapped by lillian and knows that people think this of her supergirl breaks in and she says Kara believes in you but the relationship they've established like think you're a luther and then you have the validation of a super who says that you are good and you can be your own hero and it comes to you in times of strife and when people aren't believing in you and then they vanish. So it's sort of that Supergirl fulfills this need the same way that Coville and Olivia had. So then because she's this idol to her, that image, it breaks apart as soon as Supergirl does something that Lena doesn't think is on the up and up. Yes. She has this massive disillusionment with her and completely rejects her, says that they were never friends. Well, and it's interesting because it's very much this black and white reaction that we've seen in the politics of Rain and from other people as well, like Olivia and the cult, where the reaction is really extreme. It's kind of like, you know, you've done one negative thing that affected me personally, and now we can never like each other again. Mm. And that's not really rational. No, it's not. Or, you know, a functional way to exist in society. Yeah. And that's sort of black and white thinking across the board is not a good idea if you want to have a connection to humanity and the people around you. 
And another character who has a sort of special and kind of mythical relationship with the Supers is James, who gives this wonderful speech about the first time that he met Superman, not Clark Kent reporter. And it follows that same pattern where he is in this moment of turmoil. He thinks he's going to die. He's falling kind of like Olivia. You could sort of make a parallel there. But James prays for anything and anyone to help him and save him. And then Superman does. He appears as an arm out of the spoke. James is rescued. And we see across the seasons that James really idolizes Superman. And that really bleeds into his relationship with Kara. And in season one, in Truth, Justice, and the American Way, Kara is keeping Maxwell Lord locked up in the DEO without any process. Well, it's not her specifically who is. Alex was technically the one who arrested him. Yeah. And this is after, you know, Max tried to kill Kara. And he spied creepily on her family and made threats against her foster mom and other disturbing stuff. This is also after Bizarro. Uh-huh. After he basically kills something like six women. Yeah, we find out that he basically let at least six women die all in the pursuit of science to make a creepy Supergirl lookalike who he could use as a personal bodyguard Mm -hmm. and also had a really creepy dynamic with, just generally speaking. If you missed it, he was not a good dude. But the interesting part with the conflict with James in 114 is that it wasn't even Kara's decision to arrest him. It was Alex's and the choice of the DEO. Mm. And it was questionably within their rights to do so because Max Lord wasn't an alien. And that's the thing that James takes issue with. And he tries to convince Kara that those standards should be her standards. Yeah, he's sort of like disappointed with the fact that she's not, I don't know, breaking him out. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting, too, that he only, well, and people have brought this up before, that he's only concerned about the fact that the DEO is committing extrajudicial rendition when it affects a human prisoner, whereas they had up to that point been keeping other kinds of prisoners there indefinitely, Mm -hmm. but because they were marginalized members of society, nobody cared. James's point is like, Max Lord is the head of a company. People are going to notice that he's gone. They arrested him illegally. This isn't right and you should care. And Kara's like, well, I do care, but I care more about the threat he poses to society. Yeah. It's sort of a lawful good like perception that James seems to have. It's more about justice in the sense of like the justice system as opposed to any other sort of way to view the situation. He's very much like, this is against the law. Like this isn't within your purview. These aren't aliens. These are humans. Well, and now that you say that, given the kind of development that they gave for his character in season three with his experiences with law enforcement, it makes a lot more sense that he would be concerned about corruption of government and abuse of power like that. Mm. And the way that he sort of expects Carr to react, I think, is informed by his relationship with Superman, because that truth, justice in the American way is sort of Superman's thing. And for a while, Carr kind of adopted it, but the show seems to be erring away from that and more toward hope, help, and compassion. Oh, see, now, I don't really think they ever did adopt it. I don't either, but I think Kara herself has said that she's supposed to stand for truth, justice in the American way. So in essence, you're saying Kara has been trying to fit herself into the mold that Clark created and in season one maybe realizes like, Mm -hmm. okay, that's not me because it's not reflective of my experiences and my perspective. Yeah, and who she is as a hero. Um, And I think that sort of the same kind of thing that James is going through in his perception of her, like this is the thing you're supposed to care about. You're supposed to care about justice in that sense. And in that episode specifically, it was really interesting because Kara at this point is dealing with Siobhan. Her work nemesis. Yeah. She says that she'll give her a chance. And Wynne says that's 
Supergirl's line, it's okay for Cara Danvers to be upset. Yeah, it's interesting because Wynn has a more clear sense, I think, of who Kara is. Specifically because he remains, to this day, the only character in the show who was genuinely just friends with Kara without really knowing the secrets that she was keeping, mm-hmm. and then who got let in on the secrets and who gets to see all of the sides of her. Yeah. And unlike Lena, he didn't know Supergirl and Kara at the same time as separate people or anything like that. He met Kara and then she turned into Supergirl. Whereas James comes into it and he's like, oh, this is Superman's cousin. Exactly. He already knew about her. Yeah. So there's sort of that idealized version of Supergirl in James's mind versus more kind of grounded Kara in Wynn's mind. Yeah. And we see that that kind of goes badly in the same way with Lena and Coville and Olivia. James also has that disillusionment moment in Falling when Kara is affected with red kryptonite and starts saying all the worst things that she's ever thought. And she talks about how, you know, Lucy is the lesser lane and she's physically aggressive with James. Specifically, like the things that she said, James didn't know that she had that in her. And so when he says that he needs time at the end of the episode as Carr is about to press that she likes him romantically. He has to process the fact that she's not pure through and through, that she has like the same kind of flaws that humans have and sort of intrusive impulses. But what was interesting about that episode was as another sort of counterpoint we see right after that scene with James, Kara as Supergirl then goes to talk with Kat. Well, and that scene is really, really important as a contrast because Arguably, what Kara as Supergirl did to Kat was far more of of a violation of trust and dangerous than anything she did to James. And yet, Kat is still totally willing to demonstrate that she understands, that she's still going to be supportive, and that she still cares. You know, Kara comes to her knowing that she's screwed up and feeling horrible about it, and she just wants some space to kind of think about it and not feel alone. And Kat walks right back out onto that balcony where she almost got thrown over the side and splattered on the pavement and just stands there with her and doesn't say, like, no, you were mean, so I'm going to punish you for it. She just accepts it. And she's like, you know, I know that this was out of character for you. And obviously you wouldn't have done it otherwise. And you're sorry. We can move on. And earlier in the episode, when she sees Supergirl acting this like rashly, she mentions like, yeah, she specifically says, like, it seems like you're having a mental breakdown. Maybe we should get you to a therapist, which I'd still be happy if that ever happened at some point. (laughs) Yes. But it's a very human way to perceive the situation like, oh, this person's having a human emotional problem, which is something that Kara then struggles with in season three to reconcile with her own self-image, like that she has mental struggles. Well, it's interesting coming from Kat, who essentially created Supergirl as a brand and a name and did a lot of marketing and promotion and genuinely, you know, aside from the business value, cares about the reputation that Kara has. And instead of idolizing her and reacting from kind of a fan perspective, her reaction is to say, oh, this isn't the way you normally behave. What's wrong? How can I help? Instead of backing away in the way we saw with James and that we see in later seasons with other characters. Yeah. And we know, you know, from the beginning of the episode that she thinks very highly of her. She thinks of her as the kindest person she's ever known. And she has a moment that in other characters might make them disillusioned, but because of how she perceives Supergirl, sort of a nuanced, non-black and white view, she's able to reconcile the person who she talked about in the beginning of the episode with the person who has revealed their dark side. 
I think, too, it also helps that she's one of the more mature characters in the story mm-hmm. because she has a little bit more of a sense of perspective of, you know, people are people, especially having been a journalist and interviewed all these different political figures, celebrities and so on. She's probably seen the best and worst of humanity at some point. Mm-hmm. And her relationship with Supergirl is sort of a guiding mentor position. So she obviously has her eye on Supergirl's areas of improvement. <laughs> she sure does. Well, and speaking of characters who are in no way blind to Supergirl <laughs> or Kara's flaws and yet are still genuinely supportive, we have the true anti-fan in the fanatical sense. <laughs> in the nicest way. And that would be Alex. Yeah. <laughs> It was interesting when the faith theme came up in season three and you saw those interactions with the cult because we've had this idea that faith was important established really early on in season one in the episode Stronger Together, which was the second episode, when Kara says that more than anything, she needs Alex's faith in her. Like, she really needs a reassurance that these new goals that she's trying to achieve are realistic, that they're possible, and she wants to know that she has support. Mm -hmm. And they came back to that very strongly in episode 302, when you have that fantastic scene where Alex reminds Kara that whether or not she feels like she has anything else left, she still has Alex. And Alex has always been really firm in that belief in Kara and in her abilities. Mm -hmm. The scene with Kara in danger at that hockey rink in 304 is actually meant, now that I've rewatched the season, to bookend the scene with Alex being held at gunpoint under the football stadium in the flashback in 306. And both of those times, Alex's belief in Kara and Kara's inner strength never wavers for a second, even though those are some pretty dire situations. It's just really neat because Alex is frequently more confident in Kara's abilities than Kara is. Mm-hmm. You also really liked that moment where Kara almost heat visioned her. <laughs> oh my God, that part was hilarious because they did a really good job throughout all of season three leading up to the finale, demonstrating just how lethal heat vision is. We saw a number of times characters getting killed by it. Mm-hmm. Kara even got taken out by it. And then in this flashback, Alex nearly gets hit and her reaction is like, will you get your life together? What's wrong with you? Like, she's not even concerned that it's going to hurt her. That's how much confidence she has. Like annoyed teenager reaction to like life threatening. Yeah, It's such a sibling reaction. And it reminded me too of in Falling, actually, where Kara sets all of her stuff on fire and Alex just calmly goes out to the kitchen and gets the fire extinguisher like, <laughs> okay, we're done with this now. Yeah. Alex has that experience with handling Kara's powers and, you know, has lived with Kara in all of her abilities and knows her as a person who hogs the bathroom. And I think that shapes the way that she handles other people with powers. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why you see in later seasons, she earns so much respect specifically from Martians, who are equally powerful, because she doesn't judge people based on how powerful they are. She judges them on who they are and what they do with the powers and the skills that they have. And that earns her a lot of respect from powerful figures that would otherwise be very threatening. But it also sometimes makes her enemies. Like Rain, who nearly killed Alex about 800 times this season. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which was often when Supergirl was down in some capacity or another, either for a moment, like during a battle or when she was in the coma. Alex would sort of step in and directly confront this person with godlike powers, despite being very human. Now contrast that with Coville, who essentially expected to be saved and who actively put people in danger. And it makes the concept of Coville knowing anything about 
Carr's beliefs laughable. Well, and it was really interesting to see that scene at the end of The Faithful when Alex confronts Coville and snaps at him Mm -hmm. because it's reinforced by the scene in 310 when Alex goes and visits him in prison. And both times he insists that he knows best about Kara's life and Rao's plans for her and that he's right. And both times Alex just powers right past him and keeps on going. She helps Kara get to a place where she can ultimately destroy the explosive in 304. And then she's the one who ultimately helps Kara figure out how to get out of the coma in 310 Mm -hmm. because she just doesn't give up on her. So it's really neat to see that contrast between kind of like the fake Supergirl fan and the real supporter. And Koval has no real connection to Supergirl. He has no real foundation for any of the Rao-based faith that he has. No. And that was one thing that I really loved about The Faithful. And then you see it come up again later when he switches sides and he's dealing with the cult. When he starts busting out this sacred text and the words of Kara's religion, she is an absolutely wonderful balance of very angry and offended and just kind of horrified that he's doing that because it's a perfect example of cultural appropriation. He's taking something that doesn't belong to him, he's modifying it to suit his needs and decontextualizing it, and then when he's confronted by someone for whom it actually does hold a great cultural and spiritual meaning, he's like, yeah, well, whatever, too bad, it's mine now. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorite sort of still performances from Melissa. You just watch her face as he's saying all of these things that are familiar to her and in completely, you know, the wrong context and something she never expected to experience on earth no and then the other part of it that's kind of offensive and i mean i've seen kind of similar things in terms of talking about anthropology and taking of cultural artifacts he's been gobbling up all these pieces of remains of her culture and her planet and not sharing them with anyone and she only found out about it by accident and then he doesn't even make an offer to like let her see any of the stuff or use it <laughs> let alone be like this really should be yours you should take it And then the other part I loved was when he changes sides and he's talking to the cult and he's trying to use all this really flowery, worshipful language. And Selena just sneers at him to all the other people in the room because they all know that he has no idea what he's talking about. They're just using him, but he's oblivious to it. And Selena and her her two witch friends. um, Who have names, but we're not really sure what they are. No, they're probably the least likely like religious group to be like, yes, come into my religion, stranger. Because they're also coming from a place of their religion was pushed aside as the monotheist worship of Rao came more into prominence on Krypton. That was an interesting subtext, just in the sense that you had a disenfranchised group of people who were kind of against the things Allura in particular stood for. Because you found out that the priestess who worshipped Judah Call was the person that Fort Ross was like created to contain. Yeah. Which then begs the question of how long exactly has this religion been around to worship Rao even? Well, the witch's religion predated the... Yeah, it predated everything. It's, I think, meant to be like an ancient form of worship that died out historically mm-hmm. or something because Kara mentions learning about it in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's sort of a motivation, it seems, for Selena and the three witches. And I thought it was interesting that on the season three DVD, Queller called Rain a god of vengeance because Rain herself, she doesn't have personal trauma or like a person who wronged her that she wants to get vengeance upon. It's more that she's a vessel for these three witch characters to enact their vengeance. 
So I just thought that was an interesting way to integrate religion and culture into the season. Yeah, and it's dealt with some very real, very current kind of issues on a subtle level in Mm -hmm. a way that the show hasn't tried before this year. So I'm excited to see where they go with that kind of stuff in season four. Because I think as the leadership style shifts, they'll probably do more of that. Mm. So, I mean, I enjoyed it. (laughs) I like storytelling that doesn't hit you over the head with a sledgehammer. (laughs) Sometimes I enjoy the sledgehammer in its purity of emotion. I mean, sometimes you need it, though, because subtle doesn't always register with people. Yeah, people might not have necessarily picked up on the cultural appropriation situation. A lot of the storylines that had a subtext like that to them weren't being picked up, except by people who've had firsthand experience with that in real life. Hmm. Yeah. So similarly to like Olivia or Lena or Koval, John had a moment of disillusionment that was deeply rooted in the backstory for his character, which is that on Mars, there's a genocide of all the green Martians, minus himself. And then we find out later on, minus his father. And we find out in a deleted scene for season three, that is on the DVD, he lost faith in the god they worshipped on Mars in that moment. He says in the scene where he speaks to his father, who's trying to get him to worship with him, he says, my heart was open right up until it heard my daughter scream for mercy, until I saw the light disappear from my wife's eyes. Our entire people reached out to nothing but silence. Well, it's a shame that that scene ended up being cut. I mean, it was definitely cut for length because it was a pretty long scene and that episode was pretty full to begin with. Yeah. But it really supported Jean's season-long story. It supported Marin's season-long story. And it also served as a nice comparison with the kind of conflicts that Kara was going through. Because they had these similar storylines of feeling lost and disconnected from their culture and then unexpectedly gaining some of it back Mm -hmm. and then having to kind of reassess how they felt about it and figure out where it fit in their lives. Yeah, you can infer across the season that John is having the struggle of reconnecting to his faith and the beliefs that he and his father held once. But this was a nice sort of explicit jumping off point that named exactly how his arc was starting out. So it's good for our purposes to reference. And we also see throughout the season, along with just the sort of connection to Ronmere, which is their god, Marin is struggling to get John to connect to the people of Earth and himself and kind of basically step out of the DEO and stop working and have those relationships, which we find out at the end of the season is something that is part of their religion. Marin says, live as Ronmere taught among the people, promote peace. And it makes sense for the green martians to have that sort of very community-based mindset because they're a community full of telepaths yeah and he had a scene with manal where he talked about at the end of every day he and his wife would join their minds together and share and then he loses everyone he knows his entire people and comes to this very individualistic culture on earth and he's also being hunted obviously and then he takes the form of hank henshaw where he has to hide who he is on a very basic level. Yes. Well, and Henshaw's not exactly a nice person either, so Mm. it's hard to imagine Jean had a ton of social ties. So he had no way of really connecting to the people around him until, like, Alex and Kara for a long time. And then Marin comes and sees the state that he's in, and... He's a very spiritual person. He was a spiritual leader on Mars. And he has these beliefs that he tries to teach, reteach Jean over the course of the season. And and sort of going back to the fire imagery, I thought it was interesting because fire is a very important element for Jean and the Martian Manhunter, you know, across comics. And in this iteration, Jean fears fire because he says 
my planet burned to death. So we see a few times that he has this fear of fire. He sees it very negatively. But we also get hints that it was really important within the culture on Mars because you also have that little glimpse in season two in the episode with the White Martians at the DEO. They use fire like as a test to see who is a green Martian or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in season three, we see that eventually when Marin is giving up his life to save the earth for as long as he can, they're at this place, there's a crack in the earth and there's fire surrounding them. And so I thought that was a nice symbolic moment of Jean sort of confronting his fear and confronting loss and the fact that he's about to lose his father. And Marin finally gives Jean the most important memory, which has been passed through the Green Martians through generations. He sees their god, Ron Mir, give the like, scrolls of knowledge to the first green martian and it's this giant green martian looking head and ron mir has eyes that have fire coming out of them and john comes out of the vision marin says you looked into the flames and you had no fear and i sort of love that progression of coming to terms with that and embracing it because you know it's connected to his culture and if he's going to have that connection he has to face the pain that goes along with that which is something that he and marin kind of go through especially during the sharing of memories and i thought it was interesting that both Jean and Kara have that fire symbolism. And it's also interesting because both of their journeys that they go throughout the season result in Elmeara like stronger together, connect to the people around you. Quote unquote humanity is important for you to have your best life and most fulfilled life according to your own beliefs. Yeah, and it's very literal in Jean's case because he makes the decision to leave the DEO and try to honor his father's memory mm -hmm. by living in among the people. So he's, for the first time in however many decades he's been on Earth, he's going to actively attempt to engage with people in a way that he never really has, other than through getting closer to Alex and then Kara and Wynne. Yeah. Which is like, if you think about just the sheer amount of years that he's been so closed off, it's like a huge deal. So I'm interested to see how that journey is reflected in season four. Yes. And then for Kara, since we had her dealing throughout all of season three with kind of the way other people perceive her and what they choose to believe about her and how they respond to that. And she's been dealing with all of these different things. She makes a really good point in The Faithful and asks, how do I fight against what someone believes? How do I affect their thoughts? How do I affect their feelings? You know, fighting a physical object or resolving a conflict is easy, but what superpower does she have that can change the way people think? And obviously, Kara's superpower there is talking to people and telling stories. And I'm excited that, with that in mind, they've moved towards kind of refocusing the journalism element of Kara's story for season four. Mm -hmm. And it looks like we'll be looking at people's belief systems in terms of like politics. And obviously, there's that rising anti-alien sentiment to look forward to well not for them but for <laughs> well not really to look forward to but like to watch unfold that i look forward to them tackling and the children of liberty we know are coming agent liberty is going to be a sort of thought leader you could parallel with coville is sort of like a thought leader yeah so that wraps up our discussion on faith in supergirl stay tuned for next week where we'll tackle the massive topic of the Danvers sisters. So if you have any burning questions about characterization, storylines, or other related topics, feel free to send them to us on Tumblr or Twitter at Supergirl's Attic, and we'll do our best to organize them cohesively and answer them. <laughs> Thanks for listening.